Good morning, New Hope. Well, it's good to see that some of you awakened. It's great to see if you're first time visiting with us. We want to say welcome. We're glad that you came. Today, I want to talk about something that's often not looked at or studied in the scriptures. This week, I've looked at hundreds of scriptures that talk about the biblical view of friendship. Not the world's view. I'm not interested in the world's view. What I am interested in is God's view on friendship. And today, if you want to take out your notes, I want to note that today the world is more connected than it's ever, ever been before. And yet, there is an epidemic of loneliness. At every age, in fact, this week on Friday, I was with an an elderly gentleman, he perhaps 60, maybe 70 actually, maybe 70 years old, his son's with the modern deal these days, one kid's in one country, one kid's in another, he's had a divorce, and he's sitting in a place, he can't travel anywhere, and there's nobody literally in his life. He eats alone by himself, five days a week, he's in a retirement home, rest home, and one day he has a couple of friends when he goes out. He is desperate for a friend. He told me, point blank, I am desperately lonely. Now that doesn't matter. Every age and stage of life, little children can say they're lonely, teenagers can say, young adults can say, I'm lonely. Middle-aged couples, couples here, young people, listen to me. Just because you are married does not mean to say you will not be lonely. You can be around a lot of people, you can have people in your house, and you can still be lonely. Elderly people say, I'm lonely. In fact, look at this, in Britain. It's such an epidemic that the Prime Minister of England has appointed a new cabinet position called the Minister of Loneliness. It's an epidemic and it's costing a blooming fortune. Mental health issues, delinquent children, busted up families. Even our Aussies across the ditch in the West Island have figured this out. Next slide. The Aussies recognise the entrenched loneliness is so serious in Australia that the government needs to get involved. God help us. God made you and me and you and you for a relationship. He made us for relationships. And today I want to look at what the Bible says is a healthy way to form friendships. Now, there are different types of friendships. You can just have casual friendships. And you can have close friendships. Casual and close. I want to look at those for a second. When I meet people, casual friends in my life may be the result of my circumstances. When I meet people at work, or I meet people at school, or in the neighbourhood, or maybe a sports soccer club or something like that. Those are just casual relationships. That's one level of relationship. And they come as a result of the circumstances I'm in. That's one sort of category. But then there's another type of category called close friendships. And these should not be a result of circumstances. These close friends should be a result of choices. Choices that you make. Your close friends, you choose them wisely, as the scriptures say. And the reason for that is you cannot be close to everybody. 
Now, the fact is this. The closer I am to people in my life, and the closer people are to me, the greater influence or the greater impact those people are going to have on my life compared to casual acquaintances. Get it? You see where I'm going with it, right? Therefore, I should choose my close friends carefully. Scriptures say that. We forget this. In the day of Facebook, where the number of friends you have is a sign of your connectedness, that's a bunch of rubbish. That's absolutely not what the Bible says. They are only casual acquaintances on Facebook. The point is, the people who are closest to you are influencing you one way or the other. For good and for God, or in a, taking you opposite. For bad and not for God. Now the Bible has a lot to say about this. First, first verse, Proverbs 12, 26. If you have your Bibles, take them out. If you haven't, they're on the screen. But I encourage you to always bring your Bible to church so you get used to handling and whipping around the Word of God. Proverbs 12, 26. A righteous person is cautious in friendship. Whoa! What do you mean, cautious? A righteous person. The godly are selective. Because the ungodly can lead them to do the wrong. Therefore today I want to spend our time together on looking at how to form healthy, godly, biblical relationships. As opposed to the worldly view of it. I want us to look at three things. One, the kind of people you should not choose. You can teach this. Well, first of all, this is for you. Whoever, what age and stage of life you are. Whether you're a single, a mother, or a grandparent, doesn't matter. We're going to look at the kind of people you should not choose, according to the Bible. God, our Creator's manual. Then we're going to look at the kind of qualities you should look, this is the flip side, what you should look for in good, godly, biblical friends. And lastly, I want to look at some practical building blocks of how you build healthy, lifelong friendships. Because there's many people I meet who tell me in confidence, but as your pastor, I want you to know there are many people in this world who are desperately lonely, who have got actually... Very few, if any, friends. Very, very, very few. Now first, I want to look at who the Bible says not to choose as your close friends. Now, you may have this down. You may not. But if you do, use this as an opportunity to underline this with those you have influence with, i.e. your children, your grandchildren, and those you care about. Now, before we start a question, would you agree... That wrong people can pull you down. Yeah? Yeah. If there's a person down there, it's much easier for them to pull me off the stage, for them, me to pull them up. So be careful about this. Here we go, on the screen. Proverbs 18.24. There are friends who destroy each other. That's what the Bible says. There are some people you should not have as close friends. So here's a, there's many attributes. I was staggered in Proverbs. We could have looked at maybe a hundred attributes. I've chosen six. Here they are. Number one, six, a partial list of six kind of people you should not choose as your close friends. Number one, people who like to argue. Argumentative little types. This is what the Bible says. People who like to argue should not be your closest friends. 
You may may notice some of these people. Some people get energized by conflict. All right, great, let's get in. You know, like those guys at school, it's a fight. Let's get down there. Let's get in there. Yeah? You know those kind of... It makes them alive. And I've noticed too, wherever those people go, there's conflict. They go from one job to another. There was a stir. Woo! Boy. Thank you, Lord. There was a stir in one organization, then they move over to another. And guess what? There was stir there too. They're irritating, they're agitators. You know those guys and gals? God says, don't hang out with those kinds of people. Proverbs 23, any fool can start an argument. No special skill required. The honorable thing is to stay out of fights. Stay out of them. Stay out of arguments. Circle the word stay out. That's God's word for you. Somebody loves to start an argument in the office. The wise thing is unless you're directly part of that problem, stay out of it unnecessary arguments. Now there are some things, as you will know, if you come to this church, you'll know I encourage you highly, stand up. Stand stand firm on some things, but stay out of unnecessary arguments. Some things you need to stand firm on. Two, keep away, the Bible says, seriously we forget this, who gossip, people who gossip. Some of you say, oh boy, there go all my friends. <laughs> Did you know that God hates gossip? That's a strong word, but he says it. I hate it. Why? Because they sabotage relationships. They damage relationships. They betray confidences. Gossips are destructive. If you have a close friend who's a gossip, get wise Start to either improve or remove. They either improve their behavior or they're removed out of your circle of friends. They'll do you damage. The Bible says this. And by the way, it judges harshly gossips. It says in 2019, Proverbs, stay away from gossips. Oh, I'm not sure what the will of God for me is. There it is right there. Stay away from gossips. They can't keep a secret. And they'll blab everything. Excuse me, the word blab is not in there, but it says tell. So stay away from people who like to argue. Stay away from people who are gossip, who can't hold your confidence. I can tell you in my own life, there have been some people over the great stretch of my life, I've noticed, hmm, how did that person learn that? And I've learned to be wise. I just don't say anything to that person. I withdraw confidential information that I would only share with that person that nobody else should know about, and yet somehow it's gotten around. I pull back from that. I value people who can keep their lips shut. So does God. Three, you also to stay away from and not have close friends, people who flatter others. Flatter. Flattery is false praise. We used to say it this way in the old days, a grease up. Right? You know what a grease up is? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. Just making sure we're talking the same language. A grease up. Insincere compliments, often for ulterior motives. Flattery is the person who kisses up to the boss at work and we're all going, ah, we all know what he's doing. Trying to get a raise and so whatever. And then they'll go away and say the exact opposite thing about the boss. There's no integrity in that person's life. So when you see people who are flattering, 
whether as a girl or a guy, you may see him at school. Kissing up to the most popular person or an adult in the office situation. The Bible says you need to walk in the opposite direction. They're not good quality friends. Keep away from them. They'll do damage to you. Stay away from flatterers, the Bible says. Proverbs 29.5. Flattery is a trap. You hear that? It's going, oh, that's sweet. I'll go a bit closer. No, he says keep away from that. If it's insincere. Evil people get caught in it. But good people avoid flattery and are free from that trap. Four. The Bible says... Keep away from people who cannot control their temper. Clear in Scripture. The Bible says those who can't control temper should not be your closest friends. They're the hot-headed ones. You know, something goes wrong with steam puffing out of their ears. They're short-fused and they're volatile. And they're rash and they blow up quickly. They're easily upset. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 22:24. Don't Make friends. You want to know what the word of God says to you? His will? Exactly here. Don't make friends with hot-tempered people. Don't associate with anybody that's easily angered. You know, they get, that, that, the kind of guys that get ticked off super easily. And you have to walk on eggshells around them, lest you ruffle their feathers. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Can I see your hands? Okay. Since those guys don't have as your best friends. Don't associate with those who are easily angered or you'll learn to be like them and not be able to change. Now, why does it say that? Anger, friends, is contagious. Did you hear that? It's an emotion. And if you're influenced by people, you hang out with them, become like them. By the way, when it comes to your children, be very selective Some kids are not reined in whatsoever by their parents. They're wild. Oh, belt your kid or belt some other kid. Keep an eye on that. So you're influenced by the people you hang out with. A couple more. The Bible says keep away from people who steal or shoplift. Now, I don't know too many adults who shoplift, but we'll get to that in a minute. But there are a lot of teenagers I know who are shoplifting. There are people who are stealing, on the other hand, from their employer. Supplies. And they're ripping their office blind. And everybody else knows it. Now look at this verse on the screen. Proverbs 1.13. They say, come, let's take all kinds of valuable things. Maybe resources from the office. Maybe even time. But they're saying they're working and they're not. Let's fill our house with stolen goods. Come join us and we'll share the stolen goods. But the Bible says, do not go along with them. And do not do what they do. See, the Bible is real clear. Just stay away from those people. If you have a teenager who has a friend who is a shoplifter, you may want to show them that verse. Because next minute your teenager could be very well tempted. We're going to go into that next week. But also what your teenager's Friends are watching on their digital devices. We're going to talk about discipleship in the digital era next week. Number six. I should not have as my closest friends, this is important, believers who sin sexually. 
believers who sin sexually. Notice I did not say here unbelievers. I said believers who sin sexually. Why? Well, the principle is this. Never expect a non-Christian to behave like a Christian until he becomes or she becomes a Christian. Here's what the Bible says. Now, take careful note of this one. 1 Corinthians 5.9. I'm reading from the ESV. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then you'd need to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Someone who's claiming to be a Christian but it's really a greedy guts. Someone who's claiming to be a Christian and is living a sexually immoral life or is an idolater, puts something else above God, a reviler, a drunkard, claiming to be a Christian and being a drunkard is incompatible. Or a swindler, swifting people. The, the Bible says, don't even eat with such a one. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because they are a very bad witness and do damage to the name of Christ. They're a bad representation. So if you call yourself a Christian and hang out with somebody who claims to be a Christian, and, but is acting in non-Christian ways what the Bible's just mentioned there, the Bible says, that's a problem. Do you get it? Got it. In this church, normally what I do is if I try to make a point, try and clarify a point, and I say, do you get it? And you do get it. Do me a favor, just say, got it. So, do you get that point? Great. By the way, I just want you, if you've got your Bibles there, I'm just dropping down one more verse. I've done a lot more study around this, but it struck me again. It's not on your outline, but I want you to notice verses 12 and 13. Paul goes on to say this, carefully listen. What do I have to do with judging outsiders outside the church? Why is that my business, he says? Those in the world. I'm not here to judge those in the world, he says. In fact, I quote, it is is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. This is a whole area of church discipline. Somebody claiming to be a Christian, but living like hell. Living not according to the word of God. He says, my problem, Paul says, is not out there in the world with what's going out. Do you know many of the Roman emperors were gay and the whole lot? In fact, nearly all of them were. He says, that's not my problem. My problem is right here inside the church because judgment starts first in the house of the Lord. He says, God judges us outside to us purge the evil from within. But discipline within the church was their responsibility. In the Bible... Well, let's move to the next section. has a lot of positive advice. That's what not to do. Let's look on the other side of this now. On what you should look for to choose as your closest friend. Actually, there's a bit of a circle. Did I put that one in this one? Yeah, there we go. Gives a bit of an idea of what's going on. You've got casual friends we talked about. I'm not going to dwell on this. We have close friends, and then we're going to get to the end, the core friends. Okay. We only have, by the way, a few core friends Men and women who have close influence in my life and in your life. Now, there are all sorts of important qualities that the Bible says we should consider 
when we're picking core friends and have extra influence. I'm going to focus on three that the scripture seems to give a little bit extra attention to. Number one, choose friends who will encourage you and me spiritually. Challenge. I have four men now. One just died. In my life, that can challenge me on anything. I want that. And I accept that from them because I know that they love me. Irrespective of my foibles and faults. So choose friends who will encourage you spiritually. These are the closest ones and the core ones. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. Now this verse is not talking about compliments. The words encourage one another are much deeper and repeat Paul's earlier words. Let me put the context here. These people are suffering deep and severe persecution. Effectively thinking like getting shot at. And some of their fellow believers have died through this persecution. And Paul wants the Thessalonians to encourage one another in such a grave circumstance. What about? Not surface thin compliments. He wants them to be encouraged about the certainty of their future. And their reunion with all other believers that had gone before. And the promise of eternal life. That's what Paul is focusing on. Not some platitudes or slogans. You'll read about that in 5, 9 through 10. The Bible says true Christian friends build each other up. They don't tear down. In the faith. Build you up in the faith and encourage you to practically apply the word of God. Lest we hear and don't do. And then they stand together with one another as we anticipate the Savior's return. That's exciting. Second, in your core choice of friends, choose friends who consistently support you emotionally. Who consistently support you emotionally. Now let me just share some with you. I compete hard. I sit on the board of a company that's 1.4 billion New Zealand dollars. I understand business. I understand competition. I understand family life. We have four children ourselves. But every now and again in my life, there's been times when I have felt completely overwhelmed. And the blessing of godly input into my life when I felt like I've got nothing to give. I've got no answers left. Having somebody who can consistently speak into my life and support me in the odd times from time to time when I need help is invaluable. The Bible says a friend loves you at all times. All times. Underline that all the time. A friend loves you all the time like a brother born to help in times of trouble. And when I'm in that situation, let me tell you, I'm in trouble with a capital T. And all the other letters are capitalized as well. A true friend walks in when everybody else walks out or is getting on with their own life. That's what that scripture is talking about. Number three, choose friends who challenge me to think. Think. 
Proverbs 13.20 says, If you keep company with wise friends, you'll be wise. But if you make friends with foolish people, I love this version, your life will fall to pieces. <laughs> because you come, become like people you hang out with. The easy thing in friendships is to just surround yourselves with like-minded people who don't ruffle your feathers every now and again. You know those four guys that I talk about? Some of those guys ruffle my feathers every now and again. That's good for me. They challenge me to think. Challenge me to change. Lest we walk down the path of least resistance. If you want meaningful, life-giving, heart-filling friendships, let me encourage you to choose close friends who make you and challenge you to think. Now, if I could just summarize briefly those last three points. Great friends should call the best out of me. That's what they should do. Great friends should call and bring the best out of me. Now, let's switch gears and look to God's word of how you and I can be that great friend. Seven building blocks. There is probably, well, there's a lot more than this, but I've just chosen seven. Seven building blocks of close relationships. Seven factors in how to help you form good, godly relationships from the Bible with one sentence from each. By the way, if I summarized all that in one sentence, to have great friends, I must be a great friend. You may want to write that down. To have great friends, I must be a great friend. Which, by the way, involves time so number one how to be a great friend be cheerful and greet people with a smile you go that is so ridiculously obvious I want to remind you that a smile can change an atmosphere instantly from to whoa It brings light in the air, an energy, an enthusiasm. A smile costs nothing but can cheer someone up who's having a really tough time just by smiling. Perhaps even a checkout operator. Anybody you come across. Now look at, think about that and how change can happen. Then I'll think about a sourpuss Christian. To me that's an insult of the joy of God. They look like they were baptized in vinegar. Anybody met something like that? Yeah. Don't have to poke them. They've got long faces. And that's probably because they've forgotten the joy of their salvation. The joy of their salvation. What they've been set free from. How God's working now on what he's, where he's taking you to. See, your smile increases your face value. Notice what the, boy, the Bible says here. In Proverbs 15.30, a cheerful look, there's a smile, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. And you know what often happens? Sometimes Kim and I are walking and I'll say hello to somebody as we're walking by. Now some people are just walking along and they're like, there's um, just no time. There's, and some will respond back. I like to initiate. Hi, hello. Whoa, somebody talk to me. They're a bit shocked sometimes. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Your smile is winsome and attractive to others. And by the way, we have a lot to be thankful for and cheerful about. 
See, the problem is when we forget, when we focus on what we haven't got compared to what we have got. And by the way, the Bible says God has given you everything you need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Everything you'll ever need is in Him, in Christ. Now, here's an interesting thing about that verse. A cheerful face also lifts your heart. When you smile, it'll lift your heart as well. And while you're at it, use friendly language. Look at this next verse on the screen. The Lord is pleased with what? What does it say? With friendly words. The Lord is pleased with friendly words. Did you know that any time you say a friendly word to anybody, God is pleased? Sometimes it seems like the world is getting angrier and angrier. I listen to some of the talkback sometimes. Whoa, I change. That's mad as heck as each other. Oh, nobody wants to be friends with a cranky person. <laughs> this week I read about a cranky, cantankerous guy who came to a flower shop. He was all upset because they got the wrong order. And he said, you got the wrong order. I ordered flowers to my new friend's housewarming party. And you said in the bouquet, it said, rest in peace. <laughs> he was hacked, cranky. The shopkeeper turned to him and said, well, just think about it. Somewhere, there's a gravestone that said, I hope you enjoy your new location. <laughs> you got a problem? Somebody's got a bigger problem than you. Somebody's got a worse problem than you. So just start off by smiling. You can make friends just by smiling if you'll just do that. And anybody can learn to do that. Number two, be conversational. We talked about this in our home group on Friday night. On our evening home group. We have a home group in the morning and we have one at night. Be conversational. Now what I mean by that, let me be real clear, is ask questions. <laughs> Ever been in a situation where the other person did all the talking and never asked anything about you? Can I see your hands as if that's ever been your experience, please? Oh, isn't that so annoying? You go, it's all about you, baby. You didn't ask me one thing. It's called, and that is not a conversation. That is called a monologue. Mono. It is not a conversation. And often why that is, is because they're trying to impress you about how cool they are or what achievements they've done. That's actually a sign of insecurity. That's a monologue. That's not the way to make friends, talking about all your strengths. The way you make friends, some of you are pained right now because you don't have many friends is by asking questions about the other person and it shows why would you do that because it shows that you are interested in them not just you I'm interested in me how great I am who cares Philippians 2.4 don't just think about your own affairs your job, your marriage, your kids, your building project, your property, your investments. That's sounding a little worrisome. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested. Circle that. 
in others. And then what they are doing. Marty, what are you doing? How's the deals going? How's the business? How's the family? How's the grandkids? And be interested. Remember their names. The secret, here it is. I'm going to give you a secret of making friends in one sentence. The secret of making friends is to be interested, not to be interesting. You may want to write that down. The secret of making friends is to be interested, not to be interesting. You'll make more friends in two months of being interested in others than you will in two years of being trying to interesting and trying to be cool and talking about all your achievements. Friends, people are looking for people to be interested in them. And if you put aside your ego for the first good portion of that conversation and be interested in them, how, are you, how do you show them interest? By asking questions. And then let them talk. Don't fire them like with questions like you're firing a machine gun at their feet. <laughs> Ask the question, let them talk and listen and engage. The Bible says, uh, encourages here to stop trying to be interesting and start being interested. Look at this, Proverbs 25. It says this, a person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but insight or wisdom, you can bring them out. Find out what's going on in their hearts. What they heard, I spent nine hours with a guy yesterday. Nine hours, one-on-one. And let me tell you, by just listening, you can see what's bothering him. How do you draw insights out of thought, um, thoughts of other people? By learning to ask sincere questions. Number three. Want to be a good friend? Want to learn how to make friends? Be considerate. Good friends are considerate. What does that mean? It means you ask questions, then you listen and you empathize. When I give people my attention, when I listen, I am giving them the most important thing in my life. Time. That's what the Bible says in James 1.19. Be quick to... What? Listen. And slow to... Trouble is we get that back to front. Often the opposite. We are quick to speak. We're slow to listen. So when you're in a friendship, consideration concludes, by the way. I need to say this as well. Not competing. They say, well, I did this. And you go, well, I did this. Well, I did that. And trying to compete. That has no part in the friendship. Friends are excited when another guy gets a promotion. Friends are excited when their friends' children do well. They're not secretly thinking, jeepers, I need to up my game to catch up with them. That's not it. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's godly. Not trying to get a one-upmanship. That's empathy. Rejoice when they rejoice. Weep when they weep. Now, empathy is not sympathy. Sympathy says, I'm sorry you hurt. It's a start, but empathy goes deeper. Empathy goes, I hurt with you. There's a difference. And these are relational skills I'm sharing with you, listen carefully, need to be modeled at home if your children are going to become godly, well-adjusted individuals. 
And they need to be modeled at home because they're certainly not going to be taught or rewarded in the classroom. Or at school, or on TV. They need to be practiced. Now, a bit of a concern here, to be straight with you. This often used to happen where at family dinner time. With my concern is, I was even talking to somebody last night at about maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, who was saying, now, don't quote me on the numbers, but a huge proportion of the children that this person knows do not have dinner with their family. This is the norm now. I'm telling you, it was over 50%. In fact, yeah, I felt a bit bad about that, can't remember exactly, but I think it's about 60-odd. North, do not have dinner with their parents. And I think that's a very significant contributing factor to why kids are lonely, which leads to other things, which are tremendously unhealthy. They haven't learned the skill of taking your turn. Stop talking. Let the other one talk. They haven't learned the skills of letting the other one talk, taking their turn to listen. How to ask questions. They haven't learned to talk intelligently to an adult, much less another kid. Now, action point. If you're not having family dinners, can I highly suggest that you reinstitute them? And when, if some of you aren't married yet, make sure. Look, if you have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning to get to work so you're home at the end of the day so that you can have time with your children, do it. You're not taking out of their hide when you're getting up early. You are taking out of their hide if you're not home for dinner. Because at the end of the day, they're exhausted, mum's exhausted, tea's going to be cooked, da 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 You need to be home at dinner time, where at all possible. Because it's around there that you get chance to teach biblical knowledge and relational skills. If that's not happening, it's not going to happen anywhere else. Work ethic is drilled in around dinner time. Kids don't just come to the table. They will have set the table, right? They will appeal the veggies or boil the rice, as the case may be. <laughs> they need to participate early on in this. Then they need to learn to sit at the table until everybody is finished and then thank the person who made that meal. Then they need to wait until they... Then clear the table and have part in doing the dishwashers, packing it up. Cooks don't clean... That's not reasonable. You cook, you don't clean. Somebody else cleans. It's a partnership in this deal. That needs to be taught. Sitting table, timeliness, getting to table on time, teamwork. All these things are all revolve around that simple dinner time. And by the way, if I'm always looking at my screen, as an adult, and my kids see me doing that, it's very difficult for me to complain that they were always on their devices. Yeah? <laughs> Here's a secret. Kids are like oysters. A lot of the time, especially as they get into teenage years, they close up. And they only open up occasionally. And then they close again. Part of the skill of a parent is recognizing when the window is open. And when the shell is open, instead of trying to force it open, when it's not a natural fit. 
but it's hard to do if we're not around our kids. Number four, good friends are consistent. If you're known for being consistent, you'll be known as a good friend. Not one of these ones that's hot and cold. Have you ever known anybody like that? Love you one minute, next minute they're not talking to you. They used to call it the cold shoulder. <laughs> if you're not consistent. The Bible says in 18, Proverbs 18.24, there are friends who pretend to be friends. You have friends who are pretending to be friends. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Through thick and thin, that means they're consistent. And we all need friends who stick close, who listen, and who deeply care. And you offer help when it's needed. In good times and bad, it's better to have one such friend than dozens of superficial acquaintances. So instead of wishing you could find a true friend, seek to become one. Now if you look around, you'll find people who need friendship. Ask God to reveal them to you and then take on the challenge of being a true friend. Number five, be confidential. This is the antithesis of the gossip. To be confidential, you don't gossip about them. You don't gossip to them. That'll hinder your friendship. And there are verses that speak to this. Here's a good one. Proverbs 11.13 A true friend, a true friend, will will keep a secret. Wild horses will not drag it out of them. No, I'm not saying it. And by the way, on that one, I just want to just give a caveat here. This is a sidebar. We all know There are unique and very rare circumstances when a true friend cannot keep a secret legitimately. Right? We know what we're talking about. We know that, but we're talking here about keeping healthy confidences. When people are opening their heart and they start sharing the struggle, that kind of stuff we need to be confidential about. You want to be a safe sounding board, but when somebody shares a secret that is dangerous or harmful to themselves or to others, that's a time for their, when their long-term good, for their long-term good, the best thing you can do is to break that confidence and get them help. You know where I'm going? Yeah. Not to hold that secret. You're not bound by that. In that situation only. Number six, be candid. Be candid. Always tell the truth. But being, telling the truth is not a, a, a reason to just be a jerk. There'll be times in a healthy friendship when you have to be candid. And that truth might sting a bit. But when you're saying it in love, and you're saying the truth in that way, when the dust settles, your friend will know that you're still going to be a, a source of encouragement and support And you're fulfilling and you're filling their heart and looking after their best interests. The truth, even when it stings, can bring healing and strength. The Bible says this in Proverbs 24, 26. Notice this verse. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. An honest answer. You could summarize the entire message on how to be a healthy friend and how to build healthy relationships with simply this last point. And that's be Christ-like. One of the best ways for us to be Christ-like is to love them unconditionally. To love people unconditionally in a world that begs 
for us to always achieve. doesn't like you if you're not achieving. To try and earn the approval of others, that's always a deal. And to prove our worth, that's what the world says. But what a difference when people know that you're someone who just loves them for who they are. Not for what they can do for you or for anything else like that. They'll be drawn to you and you'll have a chance to build some great friendships. Romans 15, 7 says this, Accept each other just as Christ accepted you. Now research shows a primary antidote to loneliness, which is where we started off at the beginning, is healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. And the key to healthy friendships is to look at the model of Christ, not the world. The world hasn't got the foggiest clue about this. Jesus modeled what it means to be a good friend. And when you begin to love people the way Jesus loved people, you begin, you begin to become the person who fills the hearts of others. And where's the best place that I know of that you can learn and practice these skills of learning to be a friend? Over the long term, in a small group. We all need these biblical skills of friendship. Let's bow our heads. As we close with our eyes closed, let's just, let me just ask you a couple of quick questions. Are your friends helping or hindering your spiritual growth? Young people, let me just say this to you. Dating the wrong person can cause you to miss God's purpose. Are you a great friend to others? It's a great question. Perhaps this afternoon, you need to go and look at these seven building blocks that we just went through and say, which of these do I need to work on? Maybe... You need to invite some of your friends to church where they can hear these things. Jesus says this to you and I, I have called you my friends. In John 15, 15, he's accepted you. My question to you is, have you accepted him? If you haven't, just in your mind say, Jesus Christ, I accept you into my life today. I accept the price that you paid on the cross for my sin. I want to be a friend of God. I want to know you personally. I want to know your purpose for my life. Our Father, help us to be a church that's not just known as friendly, but as a church that's full of friends where we love you all. But that our closest friends are those that strive to make us grow in God and help bring out the best in us for your glory. May we in turn be best friends and bring out the best in others. And may we choose best friends who help us be what you designed us to be in your kingdom. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.